0: Romans chapter 8, if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word this morning. We're going to read verses 12 through 17 and walk through these together as we talk about a close relationship with God. And Paul writes this to the church in Rome. He says, So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you will put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Verse 14, For all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Jesus, thanks for our time and your word this morning. God, I pray that today would be an encouragement to us, God, that today would draw us closer to Jesus because we spent time with you. Father, give us the ears we need to hear your word today, the hearts to receive and the hands and feet to live out those things which you teach us, Lord. Draw us close to Jesus this morning. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Friends, as we were as have been thinking about this passage the past couple weeks in our series Ghost Stories, I was thinking back and just the reality of this truth that relationships in whatever capacity can be quite the roller coaster. I see this play out so often in the life of my young daughter. It seems like one day she'll go to school and she's best friends with somebody. By the time lunchtime rolls around, they're arch enemies. By the time she gets home from school, they're friends again. And later that evening, she can't even stand the person. And I'm sure we've all been in that before when we were kids. You know, we had all those friends that we did this little roller coaster ride of emotions with them. Maybe for you, it was uh, when you were growing up, your parents allowed you to date. And you find that one person and you are dating them because you're probably nine years old. And within a week, man, for some reason, we were young. It didn't take time. But within a week, you were madly in love, man. You were going to marry them. You were going to spend forever together. But then Friday rolled around. And now you're arch enemies, right? We, we've all ex- experienced those roller coasters of emotions when it comes to relationships. We can talk about them in marriage. We can talk about them in work. We can talk about them in friendships. But the reality is relationships are quite the roller coaster that we all live on. But here's what happens to us often, and this is the reason that we wanted to walk through these verses in Romans 8, is oftentimes what we do is we take our experiences And specifically this morning, we're talking about the experience that we have with relationships, family, friends, spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever that is. And we apply those experiences to our understanding of the scriptures. So we think because, well, I experienced this dynamic in my relationship with my father that God must operate in the exact same fashion. I have this experience in such and such relationship, therefore God must function in that same capacity when it comes to relationships rather than letting the scriptures inform how we view and understand God. And so today we want to talk about that relationship with God, really that's found through the Holy Spirit. And one of the benefits that I want us to see today, so this is the the conclusion before we get to it, is the benefit of being a Jesus follower who is now indwelt by the Spirit of God is that with God we never have to experience the roller coaster relationship. Scripture makes it abundantly clear, we're going to see here in Romans chapter 8, that because the Spirit of Jesus dwells inside of me and inside of you, if you're a Christ follower, that your relationship with God can be at a forever constant because it's not dependent upon you, it's dependent upon Him. So let's start here this morning. On your, if you got to the note sheet when you walked in, how would you rate your relationship with God? Just circle that on your paper. Like right now, at this moment, Sunday morning, October 13th, how would I rate my relationship with God? One to ten, one being terrible, ten being the highest. Where would you put yourself on that number graph? And I want us to see in these verses today, and I think our TVs are going down, I'm sorry. Can we just turn them off, Joe? Rather than just flipping them on and off. All right, everybody, insert yourself into this awkward moment. This is great. We got it? We good? Cool. All right. What I want us to see in these verses today in Romans chapter 18, these six verses that we see here, that friends, no matter what we've experienced in relationships with our parents, with other people of the opposite sex, friends, co workers, um, those insecurities don't apply to our relationship with God. And it's because of the spirit, Paul tells us, because I'm indwelt by the spirit, I don't have to have those insecurities. Instead, I can be confident in who Jesus says I am and what that means, and what that secures for me as a child of God. So I want us to look at two realities today uh, that we see in the scripture. Here's the first one. I want us to understand today who the spirit of God says that you and I are. This is so important for us to understand today. Uh, For clarity's sake, if you were uncertain, the book of Romans The book of Romans is written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the the New Testament. Paul wrote a ton of books in the second half of our Bible. In writing these books, Paul writes a specific letter to the church in Rome to encourage this church. Romans uh, is a book. If you've never spent time reading through this book, I encourage you, do it. It has been said that Romans is the most theologically rich book that's found in the entire Bible. Because what Paul does in this letter is he spends a lot of time giving like an in-depth commentary of the gospel. So he spends a good chunk of this talking about the sin problem that we have, the redemption that's found in Jesus, the glorification that's going to be found in Christ and the hope that we have in Jesus. And over and over, Paul just walks through the gospel through the book of Romans. Up to these first uh, 7 chapters, what Paul has really been doing is explaining the gospel to the Romans. Like, all right, so what does it mean that Jesus died? Let's really dive into this. Let's let's flesh this dude out. But by the time he gets to chapter 8, Paul transfers from information to application in this letter. He says, "Now we know the truth of the gospel. Let's apply the gospel to our lives personally." I want us to see here how this, how this affects us, not only our eternity, but like today, right now, how God sees you. Who does the Spirit say that you are? Look at verse 12 again. Paul starts out in verse 12. He says, so then, brothers and sisters, now listen, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a church system where that was a common phrase uh, that we used in our church. You ever heard somebody, hey, brother, <laughs> don't do that here. That's weird, okay? <laughs> We don't, that's just not a thing that we do here, all right? If, if you do, people are going to look at you goofy, like, what's wrong with him, all right? Like, hey, brother, hey, sister. That's, that's just the kind of environment that we grew up in. But why did we do that? Well, Paul uses the phrase, and again, this is important. He uses the phrase, brothers and sisters, to make sure that this applies to a specific people. Those who are of the same kind as him. Paul's saying, hey, everything I'm about to tell you in these next six verses only applies to Jesus' followers, those indwelt by the Spirit of God. Think about it this way. Me personally, if you didn't know, I have a, a brother and a sister. All right? My sister's fairly, she's a pretty normal human being. My brother grew up in Kentucky, so that speaks for itself, I guess. All right, But I have a brother and a sister. They're the only two people on the planet right now that I refer to as brother and sister. Do you know why I do that? Because we're part of the same family. So when Paul interjects here, and again, I don't want us to miss important things here. When Paul says, so then, brothers and sisters, what's he saying to, right here? Hey, I'm talking to those that are part of the family. They're part of the family of God. If you don't know Jesus, this isn't for you. You can tune out. He said, you're part of the family. This applies to you. Now look at what he says next, verse, verse 12. Now, so brothers and sisters, so then, brothers and sisters, watch this. We are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, If you were to jump back in your Bible to Genesis chapter 3, and we're not going to do that this morning, we'd see what Paul's talking about here in verse 12 taking place for the first time. If you're unfamiliar with the story, Adam and Eve choosing to disobey the direct command of God. Don't eat from that tree. Leave that one alone. Everything else is yours. You don't touch that one. What did Adam and Eve do? They saw the tree, saw it was desirable to eat. They took from that fruit and they ate it. And in that moment, Genesis makes it very clear that now we're in this constant tension in this battle with what Paul refers to as the flesh. You see, because as a Christian, I should want to obey God, right? I want to walk in obedience to the spirit of God and to Jesus. So i want to walk this direction. I want to walk with him. But what happens is there's other stuff pulling in my affections and my attentions. So I'm, I'm trying to walk with Jesus, but then I see stuff over here that I, I want to go towards, and I want to pursue these fleshly desires that I shouldn't. So we're caught in this tension of being pulled two directions. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, it'll be up for us to read in just a moment. He says, for I know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh, so as a slave to sin. Here's the important <clears> thing. <throat> this is Paul speaking, right? I'm um, like a mega Christian, like Billy Graham sidekick kind of a thing. Like walk, talk with Jesus. Wrote a bunch of the books of the Bible. Planted hundreds of churches. The guy that should have it all together, kind of a guy. And then look what he says here. He says, "For I don't understand what I'm doing." What you talking about, Paul? Because I don't practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Paul's like, I'm I'm as a Jesus follower. I'm caught in this tension of wanting to pursue Jesus, but all these fleshly desires are pulling at me this direction too, and, and I'm stuck here in the middle. Friend, this this, this this tension that we're caught in. Should I eat the plate of carrots or should I have the chocolate cake kind of a thing? We're always caught in this tension, but look at what Paul says here. And this is such an important truth for us. Brothers and sisters, we're not obligated to the flesh. Don't miss that. Paul says, you are caught in the tension, Christian. That's the truth. And that's that's what's going on. And we just got to understand that. But because you're a child of God and the spirit is within you, you are not obligated to those fleshly desires. It means because the spirit dwells in you, you have the ability and the power and the will to say no to your sinful desires. You say, Nope, I'm good. The flesh may pull me, but I say, nope, I'm good. I'm Jesus's. Friends, that is one of the simplest and most profound truths that every Christian struggles with. That I can say no to sin. Think about it this way. The running joke around here is how much I disdain running. Like, just can't stand. So let's step out of the spiritual and the physical for a second. If one of y'all came up to me after church today, you say, Pastor, and you to go for a run, you know what I'm going to say without even hesitating? Nope, I'm good. Because <laughs> I don't run. I have no desire in me to do that. There's nothing that could pull me that direction. That's in the physical. But for some reason, when it turns spiritual, Christians get all wonky. We can't figure it out. But Paul reminds us here he says, No, you got the power to say no. Nope, I'm good. I don't want to do that. I'm going to pursue Jesus instead. You give me the option between running and a lazy boy. Guess what? No decision for me. I'm going to sit. All right, we're I my plate of cookies. Y'all can go running with your Fitbits and you record it on your My Health Plan. On that's ridiculous. I'm not into that. Okay, <laughs> we don't have to do that. Listen to what Paul said. Or, or, I'm sorry, Jesus said in Acts 1:8. We talked about this our very first week. When the Spirit comes to indwell Christians for the very first time, Acts 1:8. But you'll receive what power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. Talking to the first disciples applied to us too. If I'm a Jesus follower, the Spirit is in me. You remember the Greek word for power? It's where we get our English word for dynamite. Where we get our word for dynamite. Paul says, well, you will receive dynamite, the dynamite power of God when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Friends, that means you have instant, powerful, life-altering abilities because of the Spirit within you to say no to your fleshly desires. We can do it. We can say it. We can, we can do those things. Verse 13, watch this. Because if you live according to the flesh, you're gonna die. Thanks, Paul. That's encouraging. That's encouraging. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What's, for clarity's sake, what's the truth that Paul wants us to understand here? Watch this. Friends, if we choose to live in habitual, unrepentant, constantly practicing sin, without regard for the God of the universe, living our own way, doing our own thing, on our own terms, Paul's making the clear indication for us here in verse 13 that that person is not indwelt by the Spirit of God, living according to the flesh, habitual, constant, practicing sin nature. And if you're not indwelt by the Spirit of God, the Scripture says then there's no relationship with God, and if there's no relationship with God, there's no eternity with God, which results in what? Eternal separation from God. You see, one of the greatest marks of a Jesus follower One of the greatest proofs that you're indwelt by the Spirit of Jesus is a life of repentance. It's being able to say no to sin or to say, when I have messed up Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm going to turn away from that now. It's accessing the power that's available to you by the Spirit of God to pursue holiness. But it still begs the question. We had to set the stage here. But who does the Spirit say we are? Verse 14, friends, this is going to be one of the, again, simple but profound. And I want us to hear this. Watch this. For all those led by God's Spirit, indwelt, walking with, are who? God's sons, God's daughters. If you're led by the Spirit of God, you are a son of God. I was Processing through that verse this week, and I, I was just thinking about this, that if I'm a child of God, I'm, I want to represent my dad well. That's why I want to walk by the Spirit. Because if, if I'm God's kid, I want to represent my dad well, I think about my, my dad personally, Dave. Some of you have met my father before. My dad has worked at Lowe's, I believe, for 25 years in Lancaster, Ohio. My dad is one of the most popular men in the city of Lancaster because he manages a hardware store. And more often than not, when I get the opportunity to visit Lowe's, I will walk through those front doors, and some of his employees, you'll see them kind of giving me a look. Like they'll just kind of like, like, you know, like stare at me funny. I feel like I'm a circus animal or something. I'll walk up to the counter and I'll say, hey, uh, is Dave here? And people that have never met me before will look at me and they'll say these words, you're Dave's son, aren't you? So how do you know that? You look just like him, you act just like him, you talk just like him, you're his son. And you know, for me, that's one of the highest compliments I can receive because of how much I love my dad And the same truth applies here to the scripture. If you're led by the spirit of God, you're one of God's children. Friends, that means that every interaction that you have with people, if you're a Jesus follower, um, they should see Jesus. Every way that you talk, they should hear Jesus. How they view God may be a direct reflection on what they see in you. Which means for us this morning, that here's a truth I want us to, to understand, that sonship for the Christian being a child of God not only carries the relational aspect, that's what today is about, that's important, but it also carries responsibility with it. Because if I'm a child of God, then I'm carrying the name and the DNA of the creator of the universe everywhere I go, and I want to represent him well. So it's a a privilege to be called one of God's children, but it's also a great responsibility to be called one of God's children as well. So who does the spirit say I am? The spirit says I'm one of God's kids, but watch this. This is so important too. What does the spirit then secure for me as one of God's children? I'm dwelt by his spirit, pursuing holiness, but what does that lay hold for me? Look at verse 15. Paul says, You didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Fear what? just talked about how Jesus has redeemed us, how the Spirit dwells in us, and now I'm, I'm one of God's kids. What am I afraid of? Well, think about how a Jew, remember, Paul's writing to converted Jews, people that had followed the Old Testament religious system, right? So he's writing to these converted Jews, and think about how they maybe would interpret this freedom that's found in Jesus that Paul was talking about. This would have totally rocked their world. Remember, they lived under a religious system that said you've got to do more, you've got to be more, and you've got to try harder. And when you do those things, that'll gain you somewhat of the favor of God, but it's still going to be insufficient. And then you've got to do more, and you've got to try harder, and you've got to be more, but it's still going to be insufficient. No matter what you do, it's insufficient completely for your salvation, no matter how hard you try. But Paul's trying to break that down and say, no, 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 we are like, totally free from that. That doesn't exist for, any, uh, for us anymore because we have the spirit of Jesus dwelling inside of us. We are redeemed by the blood of Christ. So what's he say we're afraid of? I think it's this. I think a lot of us think that God's like still like mad at us. We wouldn't expressly say that, but we live in such a way that we think God's mad at us. Think about it. Maybe yesterday morning you got up, kids woke up a little bit too early, you didn't get to spend time reading your Bible, or praying. What do we do? We feel guilty. Last week, things didn't work out, you weren't able to come to church, you weren't able to, to, to be part of this, and what do we do? We feel guilty. And we think, well, God might be upset with me because I didn't do these things for him, so God must be mad. I'm fighting some sort of internal battle. Maybe I'm sick. Maybe my business is falling apart. Something's going on around me. Somebody in my family is sick. I'm fighting something. And we think the reason that this is happening is because God is mad at me. We don't say it, but we think it all the time. Guilty. God must be upset with me. That's why this is happening. Or I didn't do this. Therefore, God is mad at me. And Paul says, be careful. That you don't fall back into the slavery of the law. That's the fear he's talking about. This idea that i got to do more, be more, and accomplish more for God to be happy with me. Paul says that's not how this works anymore. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, jump back just 10 verses. What does he say? There is no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. Friends, because we are in Christ, because we're indwelt by the Spirit, when God looks at me, he doesn't see what I do or who I am anymore. He sees Jesus. Jesus standing right in front of me. So no matter what, man, it's like Jesus is standing in front of me, and God tries to peek around Jesus, and Jesus just scoots over. Right? He can't see me because he sees Jesus. There's no condemnation because I'm, I'm in Christ. And rather than driving me to condemnation like those things often do, God must be mad I didn't do these things for him. Instead, what does Paul say? No, 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 that should drive us to repentance, to wanting to be in right relationship with God, not condemnation, but too often we think God's mad. He's going to kick me out of the family, right? He didn't want anything to do with me because I've screwed up. Think about this. So I, I got two daughters, most of you know this, a seven-year-old and a two-year-old. A couple of days ago, my seven-year-old, I don't remember what was happening. They were playing in the basement. My seven-year-old pushed my two-year-old down, made her cry. As a father, you know what I didn't do? I didn't walk downstairs and say, Sophia, here's the deal. You're out of the family. Pack your bags. Go. You're out. Just because she screwed up doesn't mean she gets kicked out of the family. You know what you do with your kids when they mess up? You discipline and then love them. God does the same for us here. We discipline our children when they mess up. Hebrews talks a lot about this for the Christian. Sometimes the things that God allows into our lives are meant to discipline us and conform us to his image because there's something in me that needs to be worked out. And then God embraces us with the love of Jesus, the spirit dwelling inside of us. He wraps his arm around us and says, all right, we're going to walk through this together. Oftentimes when my wife and I do have to discipline our children, discipline is always followed by an embrace. Why? Because we never want them to think that the discipline has anything to reflect towards their character, anything like that. The discipline is meant to drive out those things that shouldn't be in them so that we can embrace them more in our relationship with them. God does the same for us. Pastor Joe, I'm about to preach, man. Verse 15. Paul says this. Instead, you received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Friends, this describes the re- the relationship we have with God. Of this relationship of not fear, but closeness. That I can be close with God. Often we live in proximity of God, but not closeness with Him. You ever heard the phrase where I can be in a room of like a hundred people and still be a stranger? You know, you can be in proximity of people and not be close to anyone. Some of you may have experienced this in a relationship before, maybe even with a spouse. You can be sitting on the same couch, but be a million miles apart. Proximity is not what God calls us to. He calls us to closeness. Watch this. Proximity only takes one party being involved. Closeness takes two. Proximity takes one. Closeness takes two. And because of Jesus, we've been invited into a close relationship with God. Here's what has to happen. God's done his part through Christ to bring us close. We got to do our part and turn into him, turn towards him, repent and get away from our sin and lean into what has been secured for us in Christ. Now, what does Paul say here in this verse? First off, Paul says that we are adopted. In the West, I think we have some understanding of this. There's people in our church that have adopted. Maybe you were adopted. You're going to adopt someday. It's simply this legal action where a child is brought into a family and you receive all the rights of that family as a result. In the Roman Empire, this was practiced. And let's say that you didn't have a child of your own, a son of your own to pass on your heritage to. In the Roman Empire, you would go and then adopt a child. And in adopting that child, it would be a legal binding document stamped with a seal that could not be broken. That child would then bear the name of the father and have a right to the inheritance. And when that legal document was done, they would seal it to never be broken again. Friends, watch this. This is so cool in the scriptures. Because of Jesus, not only do I get to bear his name, but I received the inher- inher- oh, can't speak. eternal inheritance that he offers. And now the scripture says, I'm sealed with his spirit. Why do you think Paul uses these words? Because they were so applicable to this audience. Now watch this. Let me show you a couple verses real quick. Second Corinthians one twenty-two. God has put his what? His seal on us. What is it? He's given us a spirit in our hearts as a down payment. That's the seal that we're God's children. Ephesians 1, 13, in him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation when you believed. How were we sealed? It was the spirit of God dwelling in our hearts. So I'm adopted into the family now, but I'm an heir to the inheritance later. That's why for the Christian, we walk with Jesus now, but I have a living hope in heaven. My inheritance is waiting for me where I get to be joined with Jesus forever. Look at the second half of that verse, verse 15 into verse 16. You receive the spirit of adoption whom we cry out. Watch this, Abba, Father. And the spirit testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. right? So because we're children of God, sealed by his spirit, we have the privilege now to cry out to him as father. But that word Abba is maybe the English equivalent of our word daddy or dad. It's a word that was meant in the original language to express intimacy and closeness. You know, in my life personally, there's only two humans on this planet that refer to me as dad or daddy, Sophia and Colby. Why? Because they're mine. And because I'm Jesus's and he's dwelt in me and I'm adopted into his family, now I have the rights and privileges to refer to him with that kind of closeness. It reminds me of this quote. I love this quote, that the only person who dares to wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. And we have that kind of access to God, friends. Look at verse 16. Look at it again. Abba, Father, the Spirit testifying together with our spirit that we are God's children. It's that constant reminder that when I feel far from God, the spirit in my heart testifying to me, no, 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 you are God's kid. When I wander away, it's the spirit, the ones that draws me back, secure, constant, unchanging last verse and we're done. This is the one we struggle with. We love the fact that I'm redeemed. We love the fact that we're indwelt. We love the fact that we're children of God. But then we get to verse 17. This is where it gets tough. And if children also heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. And if indeed we suffer with him, ouch, that we may also be glorified with him. We like everything from verse 12 to 16, but we get to 17 and we're like, wait a second, as a child of God, I have to be willing to suffer for him. I have to suffer with him. That's one that's hard to swallow. Think about a couple things. Following Jesus, one of the most perpetuated lies in our culture today is that if you follow Jesus, that you deserve wealth, health, and prosperity. No. That is is not true. If Jesus followed God for 33 years and he ended up with a crown of thorns, why do we think we deserve better? Yeah? Suffering is part of being a child of God. Why is that? I don't know. We've talked about that before. We tried to answer this question in our You Asked For It series. And the answer to that question is, I don't know. Why does God allow certain disease on this earth to certain people? I don't know. Why do some things happen to some people? I don't know. Why, 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 why? Some of you are asking that question right now, God. Why are you allowing this? I don't know. I have no clue. Here's what I do know. That because of the spirit of Jesus dwelling inside of me as a Christian, I have the opportunity to suffer well. My life can be a testament to the world around me that even though life is falling apart, God is still good. He still loves me and he has a perfect eternal plan for my life. And I'm gonna make sure that even in my darkest days that everybody around me knows that that's still true, that God is still good. So friends, understand that sonship, yeah, it comes with a lot of benefits, but one of the things that we have to also endure is the suffering of this life. But also listen, that's proof that you're one of his kids too is we learn to suffer well. We learn to suffer well. Who's the spirit of God say I am? I'm a child of God. What does that secure for me? A life of walking with Jesus now, an eternal inheritance that is is mine in Christ. That's what the spirit does for me. God's not mad at you. Understand, that's an elementary phrase. He's not mad at you. Friends, God loves us. I've told my wife this past week, in my 12 years of ministry, this has been one of the most trying and challenging. And the reason being is not for me personally, because of, but it more so because of the stuff people in our church are dealing with. And as a shepherd, often what happens is, is Joe and I get to bear the weight of that with you. If you think of the, the parable of the lost sheep, maybe you've heard people say before that, that often when a, when a sheep would wander, that, that the shepherd, when he would take him home, would, would put that sheep over his shoulder. Why did the shepherd do that? <coughs> to bear the weight of that sheep. And as shepherds, that's often what we have to do, and we get to do. We bear the weight of what's going on in your lives. And I've looked back on everything that we've been going through this week with some of you and some of the things that you're having to deal with in your families, and I, just bearing all of this weight, feeling verse 17 so realistically, <coughs> But then being reminded through the promises of God's word, I'm still his kid. And if that's all life gives me, that's more than I ever deserved. Pastor Joe tells me this all the time. God owes you nothing but chooses to give you relationship with him. That's enough. Friends, let's pray together.